Luke chapter 6, we began two weeks ago, um, now this is the third week, teaching from one of Jesus' sermons, as we mentioned, some believe this is the Sermon on the Mount, some believe this is a different location in a different place, um, and, and, and some would say that they are the same sermon, but at different times and different locations. Frankly, I don't think there's enough reason to argue over it, but if you're interested, I do believe it's the same sermon, even though one's in a mountain and one's in a plain. It may be a, mount, a plain in a mountain area. So who knows, but it really doesn't matter. All you need to know is Jesus is preaching this sermon. And he is speaking to what is essentially, as far as I can tell, three groups of people. The Bible tells us that there is a group of disciples. But it does not mean that this is the twelve disciples as we would recognize them. It speaks about a larger number of disciples. It not only speaks of them, but it speaks of the twelve disciples who Jesus calls to be apostles. And so uh, you have the larger group of disciples, you have the twelve disciples or apostles that he calls, and then you have the multitudes, which are following Jesus, really, basically, you could say for this, for the miracle. They wanted to be part of the next great thing, the next thing to go viral. They wanted to have a part in it, and Jesus just happened to be that thing. And now you have these kind of lukewarm followers, you have disciples who are trying to follow him, and then you have the apostles who have given all to follow him. And Jesus teaches some very, very difficult truths. He kind of breaks it up into four different attitudes that a Christian, or more specifically, a disciple, is to have. Number one, he speaks of our attitude towards our uh, circumstances. That's when he says, blessed are the poor. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter uh, 5, that's the poor in spirit. We, we defined that as... You need God every day. God blesses men in many different ways. He blessed Abraham financially. He blessed Job financially. If you're financially blessed, will you take me out to eat after church tonight? Uh, now, I'm happy for you. That's great. I don't think it's wrong for a Christian to have wealth, but I do think it's wrong for a Christian to have wealth and not then use that wealth to support the kingdom of God. But it's not talking about financially wealth or, or, or financial wealth. It's talking about or wealthy in spirit. Do you think you have it all figured out? Because if you do, you, you're rich in spirit. You think, hey, life's fine. But if you realize on a daily basis that you need God, you're poor in spirit. And he teaches some very difficult truths. Blessed are those that hunger. Well, what are we hungering after? Hunger and thirsting after righteousness. Is it a priority in your life to live like Jesus would have you live? And so we talked about our circumstances. But because these men would have tremendous commitment and following if they did these things, if they followed Jesus and hungered after righteousness and, and, and wanted Jesus in their life every day, you know what the Bible says? Men would hate them. Men would cast them out of their presence for no reason and speak of them as if they were evil. And now we get to the point where we not only have an attitude towards our uh, circumstances, but also our relationships. We were instructed in the Bible, here in Luke chapter 6, to love our enemies. And when they persecute us, and when they revile us, we're to love them and go the extra mile 
to help them understand we're not a bad person. We're living for Jesus. And so we have our attitude towards circumstances, our attitude towards relationships. Tonight we speak on our attitude towards ourself. Our attitude towards ourself. I want you to read with me in verse number 39 of chapter number 6 in the book of Luke. The Bible says in verse 39, And he spake a parable unto them, Can the blind lead the blind? Shall they not both fall into the ditch? The disciple is not above his master, but every one that is perfect shall be as his master. And that is the goal more like the Master. That is what we are as Christians and as disciples to be striving for, to become more like the Master. Verse number 41. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but perceivest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Either how canst thou say to thy brother, Brother, let me pull out the mote that is in thine eye, when thou thyself beholdest not the beam that is in thine own eye. Notice, thou hypocrite. Cast out first the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to pull out the mote that is in thy brother's eye. For a good tree bringeth not forth corrupt fruit, neither doth a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. For every tree is known by his own fruit, for of thorns men do not gather figs, nor of a, a bramble bush gather they grapes. A good man. And boy, don't you want to be a good man? I want the world as, as much as, as possible to see me as a good man. When you tell someone at your work, or you go door knocking and you say, Yeah, my pastor is Andrew Wolfenbarger. I don't want them to automatically have to start choking down bad words. I don't want them to say, oh, you mean that crooked preacher? No, I want to be a good man. I believe the Bible tells me that the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. I want to be a good man, so how can I be a good man? Well, a good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, bringeth forth that which is good. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure of his heart, bringeth forth that which is evil. For of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaketh. Gracious Heavenly Father, please help us this evening as we meet around your word. Lord, speak through me. Lord, I humbly call on you and I ask for your help. The privilege of the power of the Holy Spirit as I stand to preach this evening. And Lord, may you give the Holy Spirit to each and every person in this room so that they can discern and understand what God's Word says and how to apply it to their life. I ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. What do you think of yourself? No, no, think about it for a second. What are some thoughts that come to your mind when you think of yourself? You say, oh, Brother Andrew, I never think of myself. Well, you're a lot holier than I am. What do you think of yourself? You see, I've had the opportunity to coach some basketball teams at Joshua Christian Academy. Now Brother John Scahill uh, is doing that. For years and years and years, Brother Jim Zorns did that. And I'm so thankful for his time coaching me and putting up with me. And Brother Bruce Walquist as well. Man, we had some good times, didn't we, Brother Jim? 
We didn't win a whole lot of basketball games. We had a whole lot of fun losing. Amen. That's all right. In fact, the guys came to me the other day, the baseball guys, they said, hey, we found the scorer's book where y'all lost like 15 to nothing. And I'm like, well, y'all were better at basketball, weren't you? That's what they said. And I said, yeah, as long as you don't find that scorer's book. <laughs> That's all right. But I've had the opportunity to coach. And I tell you, when, when coaching a, a basketball team or any other team, baseball team, football team, it doesn't matter, the most difficult thing is not figuring out how to make your team come together. The most difficult team in ba- or thing in basketball is not trying to figure out what offense to run or what defense to run. I believe if you ask any basketball coach what the biggest hurdle they have to deal with while coaching basketball is this, the players' attitudes. You know, each player is wired differently. And as funny as this may sound, there are some players who can't play worth a lick, who really think they are God's gift to basketball. And you may not believe this, but I've coached players who were really, really talented and so insecure that the moment they got the basketball, they passed it away. You see, your attitude determines your effectiveness as a disciple of Jesus Christ. Your attitude towards yourself determines what you're able to do for the Lord. So what is your attitude towards yourself? What do you think about you? This evening, Jesus paints for us three illustrations that will help us in our attitude towards ourselves. Number one, the illustration of an infirmity. The illustration of an infirmity. Look in verse 41. The Bible says this. Well, we'll start in verse 39. And he spake a parable unto them. Can the blind lead the blind? Shall they not both fall into the ditch? You see, Jesus here is is asking, would it make a whole lot of sense for a blind man to be leading a blind man? Oh, certainly, that is kind of comical. One of the reasons I love this passage of Scripture is because Jesus, and I don't mean this disrespectfully, is almost sarcastic in his approach to teaching these people. It doesn't make any sense for a blind man to lead the blind, and and it's almost like something you would see in a Peanuts cartoon, really. And Jesus here says, guys, uh, can the blind lead the blind? Well, no, that makes no sense. Someone with a handicap, is, with the same handicap, is probably not going to effectively help someone overcome their handicap. And what is Jesus referring to or applying as our blindness? Well, I believe it's this, pride. There is nothing that will blind you to yourself quicker than your pride. Pride is somewhat of a numbing agent. It helps you see everybody else's flaws while not recognizing your own. Can the blind lead the blind? Verse number 41, we start to learn about this infirmity distorts our vision. Verse 41, the Bible says, And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but perceivest not the beam that is in thine own eye. Jesus is addressing the Pharisees of the day, and I don't have to spend too much time teaching you what Jesus thought of the Pharisees. This is what He thought of them. He loved them. Amen. 
And he hated their pride. Because they thought they had all the answers. They wore a key around their waist, signifying that they had the answers and the key to the kingdom of heaven. And if anyone wanted to know how to get there, just follow me, because I have the key. That rhymed, and that was good. You write that down if you want. That's good. Yeah, she got it. Good. She's recording. Good. No, they thought that they were so religious and so pious that everyone was to look up to them. Did you know there's a passage of Scripture in the Bible where a Pharisee and a publican go to the temple to pray? And the the publican uh, goes with somewhat of a humble and honestly ashamed heart And the Pharisee goes in such pride that the Bible says, Jesus spoke this parable to who? Unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous. There the Pharisee stands up and says, Oh God, I thank you that I'm not like that guy. Oh brother so and so, for I fast often. I tithe. Do you tithe? That's a good thing to tithe. But, but, That is not what makes you a good disciple of Jesus. That makes you obedient. (laughs) So the Pharisees thought they had it all going their way. And the first lesson we see is that their pride distorted their vision. The question is asked, how is it that you can see the speck in your brother's eye, but you can't see the beam in your own eye? Now this evening I did a rather odd thing when I first came to the pulpit. I don't know if anything of you, any, any of you noticed. I normally would not remove the lamp and slam down a log onto the pulpit, but I did that. Did any of you notice that? Raise your hand if you noticed that. Okay, a few of you. If you did not notice, you probably need to wake up, all right? That's okay. That's all right. Now, how many of you were in here about 15 minutes before church? Okay, I know you guys were. Now, 15 minutes before church, I did something a little peculiar as well. I kind of did it so some of you wouldn't know. But do any of y'all notice anything else that's on the pulpit? Oh, it's very hard to see. What? A four by four? Yeah, yeah, no, this is the one I slammed on. This is the log. Does anybody else notice anything different? Well, if you look right here, camera zoom in right here. No, no. If you look right here, there's a handful of sawdust. Now, most of you are like, okay, good, good object illustration. Save it for Master's Club. Maybe I should. They'll probably listen to me. But here's the thing. It is very difficult to notice sawdust, is it not? Even if you were close, I had to call Brother Sean. This is not a joke. I had to call Brother Sean and say, Brother Sean, take it easy song leading tonight, and please don't get too overzealous in your cleaning. Don't knock my sawdust off the pulpit. Why did I have to do that? Because I was afraid he'd miss it. Now, if I had placed the 4 by 4 up there, do you think I was afraid he missed that? No, I wouldn't have been afraid. And Jesus teaching this parable, the closest analogy I can give you is that the four by four would represent the beam that is in your eye while missing the sawdust, the speck of sawdust that is in, or, or noticing the speck in your brother's eye and missing the beam that is in your own eye. 
And you say, man, that's a ridiculous illustration. Or maybe it's a very accurate picture of what pride does in your life. Maybe pride allows you the ability to see clearly everyone else's flaws and totally overlook those of your own. It distorts our vision. Did you know Jesus wants every disciple to be an effective minister? Every disciple has a role in the ministry of God. Oh, we're to help brothers. We're to lift them up. We're to, we're to pray for them. We're to bear their burdens. We're to help them as they come to church and, and lift them up to the Lord and help them in their endeavor to walk with God. Those are all good and all admirable things. But the moment that we get prideful about our ministry, you know what happens? We lose our ability to minister. Because we're so focused on telling everybody how good we are, we can't help them in their errors and their faults. I remember one of my favorite Bible characters is Peter. Time and time again, Peter struggled walking with the Lord. Man, his relationship with the Lord was so hit or miss. Peter asked the Lord one day, Lord, we've left all to follow you. What's going to be our reward? Peter was kind of putting himself on a plane that only a few other guys were on. He was thinking, man, I deserve more than everybody else. Peter looked in the face of Jesus after Jesus clearly told him, Peter, listen to me. You will betray me this evening. You know what Peter said? (laughs) Not me. Not this guy. Remember, I'm the stone you mentioned, Lord. I'm the one that's not going to mess up. Though all shall be offended of you, not me. Peter had another instance that really, really kind of identifies what Peter might have been dealing with. It was at the Mount of Transfiguration. The Bible tells us that there Jesus, Moses, and Elijah talked. That's verse 3. Now, Peter and John, they're there and they're, wow, this is amazing. Verse 3, Moses, Elijah, and Jesus are talking. Verse 4, and Peter answered. Peter never got talked to. Peter was never part of the conversation. And yet Peter just interjected himself and, boy, I have so much to input here because... I am somebody. You know what Peter's main fault was when Jesus was on this earth? He was a zealous guy. I believe he was a dynamic preacher. You know what his problem was? Pride. Pride takes great men and makes them great in their own eyes. And makes them a shell of their former self. This uh, infirmity of blindness, it distorts Our vision. Pride only seeks its own and only sees its own. It distorts our vision. Secondly, this infirmity disables our ministry. We're not able to help in the way that God would have us to help. You know what happens? We start to see only our goodness and fail to see the goodness in others. We only see our own potential and fail to see the potential in others. One day the Pharisees brought a woman that was taken in the act of adultery. And they bring her to the Lord and they said, The law of Moses says that we should stone this lady. What say you, Lord? She was caught in the very act, is the words that they use. 
I've got a question for you. Where's the man? Have you ever thought of that? Did you know Leviticus 20 verse 10 says both the adulterer and adulteress were to be stoned? And if she was caught in the act of adultery, I don't want to get too PG-13 on you, but they knew who the man was. Where was he? Maybe these Pharisees thought that he could be something. Who knows, maybe he was one of them. Why didn't they bring the man? Listen to me. Listen well. Because they thought she was worthless. She was just another person. She was never going to be anything great. Look, obviously we caught her doing this. And they could never see her potential because of their own pride. They bring her to Jesus. And they look at Jesus and they put Him on trial as if He is to go against His very own law. And they say, the law of Moses says we should stone her. What do you say? Jesus kneels down and writes in the sand. And I can't wait to know what that was that he wrote. He's probably just drawing deer with antlers. That's tough to do, by the way. I don't know what he was doing. All I know is this. At the end of it, after they press him and press him and press him, you know what he says? Okay, you're right. The first person without sin, let him cast this first stone. That's the one that has the right to throw it. Did you know there was somebody in the crowd that day that fit those requirements? It was not like he was throwing out a blanket that he himself was not able to do. By his own words, Jesus was qualified and capable of throwing the first stone. So why didn't he? Because he looked at her and he said, If no man condemns you, neither do I condemn you. Now listen... Go and sin no more. Do you think there's a chance? Now, I know I'm stretching Scripture. I know I'm just taking it totally out of context here. But do you think there's a chance that Jesus thought she was capable of being something greater than what they had just seen her do? Here's a question. What if somebody caught you at your worst moment? We're all just one moment away from having a worst moment, are we not? And, and I know that in those moments, I'm so filled with shame. I'm so filled with embarrassment and frustration. I don't sit there and say, well, look what God has done in me. No, no, I say, what a wretched sinner I am. But pride does not allow you to see the fact that other people may not be perfect. That other people may have shortcomings and they're all somewhere on the course of sanctification just like you are. Whether they're at hole 1 or hole 18, who knows, but they're somewhere on the course. Pride blinds you to others' potential. And it does not allow you to have an effective ministry for Jesus. We ought to be there for our brother and sister. And we ought not be there with stone in hand. We ought to be there to lend a helping hand. What a shame when our ministry is is limited because we are so prideful. We walk around with our nose so high up in the air that if it were to mist, we'd drown. We say, oh, I I don't want to fellowship with them for maybe their testimony would start to affect my reputation. No, we've got to be there to help one another. So it limits our ministry. 
The first lesson that Jesus teaches is that of our infirmity. Secondly, He teaches this, the illustration of a nursery. The illustration of a nursery. Verse number 43, He says this, For a good tree bringeth not forth corrupt fruit, neither doth a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. For every tree is known by his own fruit, for of thorns of men uh, for of thorns men do not gather figs, nor of a bramble bush gather they grapes. He begins to teach us the illustration of the nursery, and he starts out by saying it this way each fruit has a certain character. There are certain characteristics that define the tree and the fruit. You know, for years I've thought of this passage like this. An apple tree, stay with me, and a horse apple tree. Now, if you're not from around hair, you may not even know what a horse apple tree is. But a horse apple tree, and I went out this evening to try finding a horse apple somewhere. We have some horse apple trees at the house, but they have not yet put their fruit on the limb. As the Bible, well, they'd probably say fruit on the vine. But, but I looked, I couldn't find them. And for years I've thought of it as an, oh, just a ruby red apple. How many of you like the red ones? Raise your hand. Okay, good. How many of you like the Granny Smith apples? Good. How many of you like the hybrid, the one right in the middle? Okay, y'all are weird. Uh, but anyway, no, I'm just kidding. And for years I've thought of it as a horse apple, which, as far as I can tell, serves no purpose under God's green earth. Maybe cockroaches live in them because they seem to be compatible, completely useless in every way. I don't know. But I thought of this beautiful red apple and this nasty green horse apple that's just disgusting. But did you know as I began to study this passage, it's not a different tree. It is the health of the tree. So what do you mean, Brother Andrew? Look with me. The Bible says in verse 43, A good tree bringeth forth good fruit. Uh, But uh, for a good tree bringeth not forth corrupt fruit, verse 43 says. Neither doth a corrupt tree bringeth forth good fruit. The word corrupt there is essentially the picture of unhealthy. It means that there is something wrong with the health of that tree. Oh, I don't know, maybe something uh, cut a a root. I don't know. But for some reason, the the tree is not healthy. Therefore, the the production of the tree, the fruit, is not healthy as well. And a good, healthy tree does not put on nasty fruit. And an unhealthy tree does not put on good fruit. I say all that to say this. Are you a healthy Christian? Is your walk with God a healthy walk with God? Because only a healthy Christian puts on healthy fruit. This is not the picture of a horse apple tree and a, 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 a good apple tree. This is a picture of a good apple tree and a not healthy apple tree. So are you healthy? Is God moving and working in your life? That each fruit has a characteristic. 
The fruit is the same. The difference is the quality of that fruit. Even Matthew chapter 7 says, Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. The word evil in that particular verse means diseased. Something is wrong with this tree. Something happened in its life. And let me say this here. Don't let something in your life, maybe it's a catastrophe, maybe it's a death in your family, maybe it's a financial crisis, maybe it's a loss in a job. Do not let the one moment in your life define you as a Christian. How many Christians have we seen come to church, get on fire for God, only to see one death in a family derail their relationship with God? Almost as if they get bitter at God and that God could never do anything for them. Don't allow the moment of your life where God actually starts to work in your life and tries to stretch your faith and make you something that you never thought you could be. Don't allow that moment to define you as a Christian and you fall away from what you know is right. Well, who knows why this tree is unhealthy? Maybe it's a wife who fell out of love with it. Who knows why this tree is unhealthy? Maybe it's a kid that looked at him and said, I never believed in God. All I know is a healthy tree continues to produce healthy fruit. Friend, I can honestly say years ago, I had never been through a difficult trial in my life. My father and my mother have been such good parents to me. I've had such good friends around me and you have been those friends. But I was insulated from anything bad ever happening to me. Something's happened to me now. And as you face those trials in your life, the question goes through your mind, why is God doing this? But I can assure you this, God is always good. And God is always right. And although His judgments do not always seem fair, they are always righteous. And I promise you, if you'll just stick it out to the bitter end, God will have all things planned out. You'll look back over your life and you'll say, Oh, how good God has been to me. What we have to do as Christians is make sure we maintain a healthy relationship, a healthy walk, and that will define the characteristics of our fruit. Notice, secondly, the consistency of our fruit. The consistency of our fruit. Not only does the Bible clearly mention good fruit assigned to a good tree and bad fruit assigned to a bad tree, but it says that uh, that we will produce the fruit that is consistent with the type of Christian that we are. You see, a bad person may do a good deed, but the overwhelming majority of their life will be defined by evil. And the fact remains that a good Christian trying to do right will produce good, and God will bless that. You have the illustration of the nursery. You have the illustration of the infirmity. Thirdly, look with me, and we're almost done. The illustration of the treasury. The illustration of the treasury. Verse number 45. He says, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good. 
And an evil man, out of the evil treasure of his heart, bringeth forth that which is evil. Notice this. For of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaketh. Have you ever been at uh, maybe somewhere in town, maybe a Walmart, maybe an academy, and you see somebody come in that's super ripped, super buff? You know what I'm talking about. Brother Sean's not one of them. uh, That's not exactly the... Type that I was talking about. But they come in and you you want to go up to them and ask if they just can't afford t-shirts their size. You know what I mean? Why they had to borrow their little sister's t-shirt to come to Academy. You wonder it sometimes. Thank you to Under Armour for making it okay to wear things that are far too tight in public. And now with yoga... Do the pants get in the way? I don't know why they have to spray paint them on. I'm not entirely sure. I've never done yoga. Uh, we calls me a yoga master. I know that. But I'm not entirely sure. I've never wore yoga pants. Uh, uh, Josh, do you know how they feel? No? Okay, good. All right. Good, Josh. Just trying to test one of my teenagers there. Good. That's good. I don't know, but have you ever seen somebody walk in and maybe it's at a restaurant or maybe it's at Walmart. Man, they are, whatever you want to call it, jacked, they're ripped, they're just big, man. And What's the first thought that goes through your mind? I bet it is not this. I wonder what their favorite dessert is. I mean, think about it. Isn't that kind of ironic? But, I mean, certainly you see them and you're probably like, man, I wonder... How much they can bench press or... And how many hours a day do they work out to look like that? Or where do they stick all the needles? Well, no, just let's go on. Uh, moving on, moving on. We don't, we don't look at them and say, Man, I, I wonder what their favorite junk food is. We can tell by the results of their life that there are certain disciplines that are required. That certain things must go into their body to make their body look like that. Whether it's a good diet, a healthy diet, whether it's hours and hours of working out, whatever it is, we do not think, man, I wonder what the one thing they do bad is. We think, man, I wonder what they're doing right. Did you know that the Bible says in Colossians chapter 3 that we as Christians are to have a healthy diet? Verse number 16 says this. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Did you know the only thing that's going to make you a better Christian is the word of God? Boy, I'm all for good music and we'll get there. But the only thing that will show you the kind of Christian and the disciple that God wants you to be is God's Word. We are washed by the Word. We are sanctified by the Word, the Bible tells us. And all these things culminate in our life so that the Word may develop us and grow us, rooted and built up and established in Him, the Bible says. So the Word of God, we ought to dwell or allow the Word of God to dwell in us richly in all wisdom. Now, how do we do that? Certainly, this is a daily practice of discipline. How do we allow God's Word to dwell in our hearts? By every decision you make. Oh, man, if I ask some little toddler tonight, I say, what's a way that you can get closer to God? You know what they're going to say? Read my Bible. That is such a great foundational principle to have. 
But more so than reading your Bible, closing it, and allow it to go back until you read it again, we are to let the Word of God dwell in us. And I wonder if, as it dwells in us, we abide in Him. How do we allow the Word of God to dwell in us? Well, the verse goes on to say this. Teaching and admonishing one another. You need good friends. If you're newly saved, I praise the Lord for you and I'm so glad you're here. But one of the biggest hindrances in a new Christian's life is the old relationships they should probably get rid of. And we as a church need to make sure that it is not us causing them to rely on those relationships. You say, what do you mean? We're not so caught up in our clique that we can't spend some time with a new convert. Because what they're having to deal with is their whole world is changing. They now know Jesus, but now they need a lot of people that know Him as well to help them and uh, encourage them, admonishing one another. Are you helping someone? Because the only way we're going to have friends in this church like God wants them to be is if you are the friend that God wants you to be. We've got to try to help one another. And we have to make sure that our relationships are good. Not only are we to teach and admonish one another, the Bible goes on to say, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Every decision you make in your day allows the Word of Christ to dwell in you. Now listen to me. What you listen to in your car determines whether the Word of Christ will dwell in you today. You say, well, it's my car. You're right. You say, well, it's my life. You're right. But the decision determines whether you are a bodybuilder for Christ or whether you're the person that can't get out of the, the, the recliner. You say, that, Brother Andrew, that's really crude. I'm trying to tell you, those people look strong for a reason. And strong Christians only get that way for a reason. It's by every decision they make in their day. The moment that they begin to uh, struggle with a situation, a healthy Christian will start to pray about it. And it's amazing in my life, the more I pray, the more I rely on prayer. Here's what happens. If I am consistently praying like I know I need to be, when something comes that overwhelms me for a moment, my mind immediately goes to the fact that I need to pray right now. Now, if I'm ever not praying like I need to be, you know what happens? I start to try figuring it out on my own. And my faith in prayer directly ties to my dependence upon prayer. It's by every decision you make every day. Here's what I'd encourage you to do. Feed yourself spiritually all throughout the day. Not just in the morning. Here's a question. If you woke up and ate a bowl of cereal and went the rest of the day, do you think you'd ever get hungry? You think that if you chose not to eat anything else and you relied upon your bowl of cereal, you think that that would get you through? At best, your morning devotion is cereal. So how do you allow the Word of God to dwell in you richly all day? Every decision you make. Every song you listen to. Here's a question, and I, I don't mean to offend anybody. When's the last time that you listened to preaching 
that was not in an organized service. In our modern day culture, you have thousands of powerful sermons at your fingertips. Man, used to, they had to walk three counties to get to the revival that was coming to town. And yet, I would suggest that we listen to less preaching now than we've ever listened to. Who's your favorite preacher? (laughs) Thank you. No, 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 I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I hope that you are living the Christian life disciplined and trying to feed yourself all day long. Man, there's days I'll be sitting in my truck and I'll be listening to a Christian song. This, this morning, I, I was listening to one. And my wife drove up and scared me in the driveway. I was just listening to a song in, my, in, in the driveway there. When's the last time that a song just calls you to stop and think, man, God is so good. Here's my suggestion to you. That's a psalm, hymn, or a spiritual song. That's causing you to allow the Word of Christ to dwell in you richly all day long and to be a bodybuilder for Christ. You can't just get up and and, and try going on on minimalistic diet. You've got to feed yourself. Not only do you have to feed yourself, you have to start exercising it. Look, eating does not make people healthy. Eating healthy goes a long way, but exercise also helps. You can't just take in Bible and never give out Bible. You know what happens to water that's not flowing? It stagnates and becomes useless. Rather, it becomes somewhat toxic. What do you have to do? You have to allow the Word of Christ to dwell in you, and you have to start to exercise it. How do you exercise it? Well, you exercise it by helping those around you. You know something that's encouraging to me is when my mom comes to me and says, man, I was reading my Bible this morning and this verse said this and I just never seen that before. I know for a fact my mom has read her Bible through so many times and she says, man, I just saw this this morning. Praise God, that's an encouragement to me. Every once in a while I'll get a text message from Brian Cohn. Hey, what do you think about this? Abraham and all this stuff. And that's an encouragement to me. You know, you know what these people are doing? They're allowing the Word of God to be distributed in their life. They're exercising what they are learning. That's how to become strong. That's how to become healthy. And that is the illustration of the treasury. What you deposit determines what you're able to spend. Now, I know that not everybody uh, views music the same way I do, and you don't have to. But I do encourage you, every decision you make determines the health of your spiritual walk. Carnal returns carnal, spiritual returns spiritual. Fleshly feeds the flesh, spiritual feeds the spirit. What are you choosing every day? Man, Christians come to me and say, Brother Andrew, I just don't know why. I feel like my Christian life is empty. Well, you can't read a proverb a day and thrive. Because I know when I read the Proverbs, uh, and I don't mean this to sound bad, sometimes I get discouraged about how far away I am. Like sometimes I feel like my life aligns with the foolish far more than it does the wise. And I try and I do good. You know what I need? I need some other tidbits of Scripture to encourage me. I need something else to help me through my day. I'm getting so far off my sermon, it's ridiculous. But I feel like we as Christians need to be worried about our diet and what we are depositing in our treasury. 
What's your treasury? The heart of the Christian. The Bible says, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it flow the issues of life. Your feed determines your flow. Listen to me. Your feed determines your flow. What you put in will come out. That's the second principle of this. The principle of discharge. Verse 45. Now, the principle of deposits. What you put in is the principle of discharge, is what will come out. A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, bringeth forth that which is good. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure of his heart, bringeth forth that which is evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaketh. Now here's a question, Christian. Have you ever reacted in a situation a way that you regretted reacting later? Maybe something made you angry? Like when the North Carolina Tar Heels won the championship and all these people that are supposed Carolina fans rubbed it in my face. I appreciate you guys. No, no, no. Maybe something rubbed you the wrong way and now you reacted in a way that you knew wasn't right. What if I told you I believe you can forecast your reaction in those moments? I believe not only can you forecast it, you can control it. You do not... Wait for the moment to strike so that you can then act the appropriate way. Basketball players do not make basketball shots by just arriving at the court. Baseball players do not hit home runs just by showing up and working off their talent alone. There's effort. There's preparation. So what do you do? You deposit good. And what will be discharged is good. The reason so many of us react poorly, and I have to say sometimes I'm in this category, I react poorly because I'm putting in poorly. Amen. Listen to me. Not everything has to be wicked for it not to be all that good. When I say, watch what you're listening to, I'm not talking about the most explicit lyrics on iTunes. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about normal stuff. But every time you choose to turn on normal stuff, you know what you're choosing? To not have spiritual stuff. So what you deposit is what is discharged. Now this evening I want to do something, and I don't know if it'll be ridiculous. Probably is. No more ridiculous than my sawdust illustration, but that's all right. I've got some little blue pom-poms here, okay? Camera zoom in there. That's fine. Um, little blue pom-poms. And I want these to represent spiritual acts, okay? Spiritual deposits, if you will. Maybe it's choosing to listen to a spiritual song. Maybe it's sending someone an encouraging text. Said, hey, I just read this in my Bible this morning, and it really encouraged me. I hope it will help you today. Probably not a good thing to like then send, you know, uh, the fool hath said in his heart there is no God. That's probably not maybe the best verse to send there. But, but let these blue pom-poms represent spiritual acts or spiritual deeds input into your life, okay? We'll call this one waking up in a day and reading your Bible, Okay? Does everybody agree that that's a good practice to have? Read your Bible, pray every day, and you'll grow, 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 grow. Grow, 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 however many grows there are. I'm not sure. That's a good deed. 
um, praying. You say, Brother Andrew, sometimes in the morning I'm really rushed and I'm on my way to work and I've got to get the kids ready and I do all this and I just don't have time. And I really pity you because that time shows, it does more than just ask for God's help. It shows God that you're willing to recognize your need for Him. Listen to me. By you bowing a knee and saying, God, I can't do this on my own today. Please help me. Whether it's five seconds or five minutes, whatever it is, it shows God a yielded heart. So you say, Lord, I really need your help today. On your way to work, you choose to not turn on WBAP. Can anybody tell me why they don't update their music? That has been on there since I was a child. And I think we can get a better trumpet player, just saying. But instead of choosing WBAP, which is probably not all that bad, but there's a lot of negativity on there. There's talk about murder and war and politics and I hate this politician. It's not necessarily in and of itself a bad thing, but it's not a spiritual thing. So instead of doing that, you listen to a spiritual Christian song. One that is not beat-driven, but one that is God-driven. Yeah, there's a difference there. You get to work... You live like you know a Christian ought to live. Okay? You are trying to be a witness to your fellow employees. Yeah, you you invite them to church. You do all those things. But more than just inviting them, you live like somebody who goes to church. It's amazing how far that will go. You act like a Christian all day long. When you go to lunch, you sit down at your table and you're starving. But before you eat your food, you are disciplined enough of a Christian to not dig in. It's amazing to me how undisciplined we are and unthankful we are as Christians that we forget to pray over our food. But you show some humility. You show some discipline and you bring your body under subjection and you say, Lord, I am thankful that I have food when I know other people do not. And we don't just spit out the same repetitious prayer that we always say. We pray to God as if it was a privilege. Amen. It's a good act. On our way home, we once again tune in to maybe a good song or maybe we turn on a sermon. And we looked at the name of the sermon and the sermon did not seem applicable to our life at all. But somehow, through God's divine work in our life... We picked that sermon, and it just so happens that we really needed to hear that sermon. It's a good act. And then right before you get home, someone cuts you off. And you explode. And and all the good you've done all day long just, just kind of wells up inside you. Now let me ask you this. What's going to come out? All you've done all day is good. All you've put in your life all day long are good things. So I would suspect good would come out. Not only do I expect it, but that's what the Bible says. For out of the heart flow the issues of life. 
For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Now if you'll stay with me a little bit, I happen to have bought some black pom-poms as well. And unfortunately this one's not going to be so kind, but we're going to do the same thing. We're just going to walk through our day and we're going to allow each pom-pom to represent not necessarily wicked deeds or evil deeds, just not spiritual deeds, okay? You wake up in the morning, maybe you wake up late. Does anybody ever wake up late or is that just me? Okay, all right, good. I'm glad to know you're just like me. Good. You wake up late, you feel rushed, you got to get to work on time. You don't have time for breakfast, you don't have time to read your Bible. Listen, those days happen. But we got to mark that down as maybe something that didn't help you spiritually. You didn't have time to read your Bible and you didn't have time to pray. You know one of the times that I found most beneficial for me to pray is driving. I don't pay attention to the road anyway, so I can really focus on prayer. But, but you, you choose, not necessarily because you're setting out on your day maliciously, not because you're doing bad things, not because you're trying to be a bad person or a bad disciple, but due to the nature of the day so far, I mean, I have a lot of these days like this, I just didn't have time to read my Bible and I didn't have time to pray. On my way to work, I decided instead of turning on what is at my fingertips at all moments, uh, I've gone out of my way to prepare for myself good music and good preaching anytime I want to hear it. And instead of doing that, I choose to listen to, now this is my day, not yours, I choose to listen to the Rangers Blue Another Save. Okay? Now, these are not bad things. Everybody with me? Notice, they're not bad, but they are not spiritual. So there's another thing. I get to work, I, I'm just normal. I, I don't really greet anybody. I don't really represent Christ. I'm just kind of there. And everybody notices that I kind of got a funk on me. No, I showered, not that kind of funk. Just a funk, like a cr cloud of, man, this has kind of been a bad day. And everybody's kind of talking at the water cooler like, man, you want to avoid Andrew today. Seems like, okay. Let's allow that to represent maybe something that's not necessarily spiritual. It's just, you're just like everybody else. And you're not displaying the joy of God in your life. And you're not displaying the fact that you have something on your life big enough worth smiling about. So there's another deal. Now on the way home, maybe you're just so fed up with the day, you're tired, you don't even listen to anything. You just choose to let the car be silent. You need some time to kind of deprogram before you get home and Bailey wipes stuff on you. And so you choose nothing. We won't even put that in the hand. Now listen to me. When you get cut off, what's coming out? What you put in. And the reason we do not handle our situations well is because we do not prepare well. Our feed determines our flow. Now I tie the whole sermon together here. Listen to me. You know the reason we didn't read our Bible? Pride. You know the reason we didn't pray? Pride. You know the reason we didn't listen to good, helpful music or edifying preaching? You know why? Because we thought we didn't need it. Pride. Look, every bad decision in your life 
has one way or another been directly tied to your pride. And Jesus looks at us and says, your perception of yourself oftentimes will limit your effectiveness for me. Humility sees the needs of others, while pride only sees the excellency of oneself. Humility recognizes that you can't do it alone. Pride recognizes the fact that you've been doing it alone a long time and you're fine keeping it going that way. What do you think of yourself? How are you doing as a Christian, as a disciple? Say, Brother Andrew, I'm I'm trying my best, but man, I fail every day. You know what? Most of the disciples did. In fact, it's a pretty common occurrence for them to stumble. But you know what was great about it? Jesus never judged them. Jesus never made them feel bad. In fact, if anything, He restored them and helped them. It's unique how He looked for Peter specifically after Peter denied Him. Went out of His way to search for Peter. Peter had just said, I don't know the Lord. And He searched for Peter. Listen to me. Pride will keep you from being what you need to be for God. While a humble heart will recognize on your own, you can't make it. You need God every day.